0: Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time that we can take this morning to listen to your voice, to hear you speak. Lord, we pray that we may not take this time for granted. May we be diligent to hear from your word together. And Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit may impact upon our hearts as we gather around your word. Lord, we pray that we may be greatly blessed as we take this time to hear you speak to us. And we pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Well, when you think of trees, do you think generally positive thoughts or negative thoughts? When I was a child, I think I thought more positive thoughts than negative thoughts regarding trees, uh, because I was a little boy who loved to climb trees, and there were a few trees around the property where I lived. I grew up as a minister, uh, a minister's son. And that meant the church property was my considered my property as well. And there were a large number of pine trees on the uh, church's property that I used to love to climb. I knew each of them very well and would climb up them as a little boy. And so I thought trees were wonderful. But then I grew up and... Uh, As you start to, when you get older, you care about different things and, uh, there's, trees can be considered still good to me but also can be a bit of a nuisance depending on how they're behaving to your property. And so there's a tree in our, uh, neighbour's property here at Des Moines, uh, which is a big gum tree and it drops leaves all year round, it drops sticks all year round, it drops gum nuts on children's heads all year round, and so it can be a bit of a pain there. It's a lovely gum tree, I should say, but uh, it's the consequences of having such a tree uh, close to your backyard uh, that can make you think negative thoughts about trees. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at trees and what the Bible says about trees, and particularly when people die upon trees. And whether trees then are considered negative or positive in light of what the scripture says about people who die on trees. And so we're going to be looking firstly at Deuteronomy chapter 21. Deuteronomy chapter 21, so I encourage you to turn there. Page 192, page 192 of the Black Church Bibles. And the first thing that we learned this morning comes from Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 22 and verse 23. And that is that anyone who was hung on a tree was under God's curse. Anyone who was hung on a tree was under God's curse. If you want to see my main points, they're there on the back of the church bulletin, and there's some space there for you to take notes, if you are the note-taking kind of person. And the first is that anyone who was hung on a tree was under God's curse. And we see that in verse 22 and verse 23. We read, If a man guilty of a capital offence is put to death and his body is hung on a tree, you must not leave his body on the tree overnight. Be sure to bury him that same day because anyone who's hung on a tree is under God's curse. You must not desecrate the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. The first thing we notice from verse 21 is that there are offences that were committed in Israel that were deemed to be worthy of capital punishment. Verse 22 says, If a man guilty of a capital offence, meaning that someone should be put to death for breaking God's law. And in the law of God, there are a number of offences that are listed as capital offences. Uh, examples come from Leviticus, uh, no, Exodus chapter 21, Exodus 21, which is found on page 75. Flip with me back there just for a few moments. Page 75, Exodus 21, which is part of a major list of God's laws. Exodus chapter 21, verse 75, and I'll read from verse 12. And so we're looking for offenses that result in a capital punishment. Verse 12, Exodus 21 says, Anyone who strikes a man and kills him shall surely be put to death. However, if he does not do it intentionally, but God lets it happen, he is to flee to a place I will designate. But if a man schemes and kills another man deliberately, take him away from my altar and put him to death. Anyone who attacks his father and his mother must be put to death. Anyone who kidnaps another and either sells him or still has him when he is caught must be put to death. Anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. Here we see just a a few of the commands that are given in the Bible where if you break them you are worthy of death. How was the death to be administered? Well stoning was the most common and we see an example of that in the passage that we just looked at in Deuteronomy chapter 21. Deuteronomy 21 and if you just go back Uh, to verse 21 of chapter 21 of Deuteronomy, page 192, you see the command given as to how you deal with a profligate son. And it says in verse 21, Then all the men of his town shall stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you. All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. Stoning was one of the most common ways, but other times the way that you were to put someone to death for a particular crime was not listed as to how you were to administer that death. Sometimes people would be hung, which of course is implied in verse 22 of Deuteronomy chapter 21. If a man guilty of a capital offence is put to death and his body is hung on a tree, you must not leave his body on the tree overnight. Now, there's nowhere in the law that actually prescribes hanging someone on a tree, but it was a common practice in the ancient Near East. Other tribes that were in that area, would hang people on trees. Why would they do that? Why would you hang someone up on a tree to put them to death? Well, firstly, it deters others. If you've got someone who's committed a crime and you put them to death and bury them, the impact of their death is short-lived. Whereas if you hang someone up and their body stays up there for a time, there's that social impact that comes about. As people look up, they see this body hanging there and they go, why is that person there? And they then reflect on the fact that this person has committed a crime. We even have a a famous incident of this happening in Australia. Uh, Jill and I, on our last uh, holiday, uh, time of annual leave, we went and visited Fort Denison, which is a little island in Sydney Harbour. And... At one point in the 1800s, a murderer was executed there. He, um, was, he was already a convict for being in Australia. That's how he came from England to here. But then he murdered someone while he was in Australia. And as a result, they prescribed that he should be hung, and they took him out to Fort Denison, and they hung him there. Um, the arrogance of the man, he's reported of saying, uh, they said any last words, and he said, the view from here is splendid. Um, as he said, most, best view of the harbour anywhere in Sydney as he's standing there on the gallows. And they hung him and then they left his body there for four years hanging at Fort Denison. Just consider that. Convict ships coming over from England, they come into the harbour. The first thing these convicts see as they arrive is this decomposing body and eventually a skeleton hanging there as they arrive in. Why would they do that? It's to tell the convicts that are arriving that if you mess up here, this is what can happen to you. And as a result, the Aboriginals apparently used to go out there and they loved uh, swimming out there and catching fish off Fort Denison. But because of that body hanging there, they no longer went out there and they no longer went there. They believed it was haunted and wouldn't go there any longer. Why hang someone up on a tree? Well, it deters people from actually... Doing the crime that got that person up there. Also, we see in the text that it places someone under God's curse. We see that in verse 22 and 23. If a man guilty of a capital offence is put to death and his body is hung on a tree, you must not leave his body on the tree overnight. Be sure to bury him that same day because anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. He's under God's curse. Why would you say that he's under God's curse? What does it mean to be cursed of God? Well, it means that you're no longer accepted by God, that you're no longer in his community. If you are under God's curse, then you're expelled from his presence. You're no longer able to receive the good things that his presence brings. And hanging someone on a tree, some theologians say, illustrates this idea – that you're being, if you're hung on a tree, then you're excluded from the community that is here on earth, but you're also excluded from the community that is in heaven. You're in no man's land. You're hovering between heaven and earth. You don't belong to any community. You're not part of the people here on earth and you're not part of God's kingdom. You're cursed by God. So hanging someone on a tree is a terrible statement to make. It is saying that This is what happens to those who commit this crime and you make it very public so that you can hopefully deter people from engaging in that crime, but also it demonstrates that you are under God's curse, that you have broken God's law and that you are no longer accepted by God. But then God says that you're supposed to do something if someone is hung on a tree. What is that that must happen? Well, we read in verse 23 you must not leave his body on the tree overnight. Be sure to bury him that same day, because anyone who's hung on a tree is under God's curse. You must not desecrate the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Why would God want the person who is hung on a tree to be buried that same day? Well, some people would think, oh, it makes sense that in a hot climate like Israel, It would be quite a stench that would start to happen if you hung somebody up. And particularly if you did it in a very public place, you did it in a town square or you did it just outside the town near a roadside, it wouldn't be pleasant to walk past a decomposing body there. Uh, The sight plus also the stench. But I think it's mercy that God is showing in even the punishment. It's degrading to be hung up and for your body to decompose there. It's degrading to be put to death in itself but it's degrading for animals to eat your your body as it decomposes up there. This is a grisly subject uh, for a Sunday morning, isn't it? But for the decomposition that takes place, and so God is showing mercy there even in the punishment. The person is under God's curse, but he wants an end to come to that, uh, that desecration that is happening of the body. And, of course, it also prevents the land itself from being desecrated. And we see that in verse 23. It says, You must not leave his body on the tree overnight. Be sure to bury him that same day, because anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. You must not desecrate the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. If you leave someone hanging on a tree, you end up desecrating the land. How do you desecrate the land? How do you make it unholy? Well, dead bodies are again and again said to be in the Scriptures to make someone unclean. In the Old Testament, there's so many things that make you unclean, and touching a dead body makes you unclean. And so if you have this body dangling there, it's always seen to be sort of there in the area, making the whole area unclean. Plus, you've got to remember that the person is under a curse, not the land. And why would you want the people of the land to be cursed with seeing a body all the time, that you've got this body hanging up there. It's the person who committed the crime, not the community. And so God is saying you're desecrating the land if you leave the body hanging up there. You must be sure to bury it instead. Why is it so important that they don't desecrate the land? Well, it's because you will be removed from the land if you desecrate it. That's what happened to the previous inhabitants of the land. Flip with me back to page 115. Page 115, which is Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus 18. After God has given a whole bunch of laws to the people, he then makes this comment in verse 24 of Leviticus 18. Page 1115. Verse 24, we read, Do not defile yourselves in any of these ways, because this is how the nations that I am going to drive out before you became defiled. Even the land was defiled, so I punished it for its sin, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you must keep my decrees and my laws. The native born and the aliens living among you must not do any of these detestable things. For all of these things were done by the people who lived in the land before you, and the land became defiled. And if you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were before you. It's a strict warning given to the Israelites here that if you desecrate this land, then you're just as bad as the Canaanites. And what happened to them? The land vomited them out. And we see eventually that does happen to Israel. Does Israel keep God's laws while they're in the land? No. They continue to sin against God once they're in that land. And eventually, a Syrian nation comes in, executes a lot of them, and then eventually the Babylonian nation comes in and takes out the Israelites, out of the land. They go into exile. Why? Because they desecrated the land. There is a warning given here in Deuteronomy chapter 21 that if you hang people on trees, you are desecrating the land. And you must not do that. It is your inheritance. And if you abuse that inheritance that you have, you can be vomited out of the land. You can lose that privileged place that you have in this land. And so God commanded that you don't hang people on trees. And if you do, you take them down overnight so that they do not remain hanging there for an extended period of time. And this happened in the Old Testament. We see the Israelites seeking to do this at one point. Uh, There's quite a famous incident of it in 1 Samuel chapter 31. Flip with me there, page 293, page 293. 1 Samuel chapter 31, Samuel is of course about the rise of King Saul and the decline of King Saul and the rise of King David. And at the end of 1 Samuel, you have this big battle that happens between the Philistines and the Israelites under the leadership of King Saul and King Saul is killed. And then we read in 1 Samuel chapter 31, verse 8, after the Israelites had been defeated in battle by the Philistines, verse 8, 1 Samuel 31, it says, The next day when the Philistines came to strip the dead, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. They cut off his head and stripped off his armor, and they sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news in the temple of their idols and among their people. They put his armor in the temple of the Ashtoreths And fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. When the people of Jabesh Gilead heard of what the Philistines had done to Saul, all their valiant men journeyed through the night to Bethshan. They took down the bodies of Saul and his sons from the wall of Bethshan and went to Jabesh where they burned them. Then they took their bones and buried them under a tamarisk tree at Jabesh and they fasted seven days. The Philistines, as godless people, hung up the body of King Saul at the temple there, May have been on a stone wall, may have been on a wooden wall, but nonetheless, the concept is there. They've hung up the body of their enemy. And this is degrading to King Saul. They know it, that's why they put it up there. And what do they do? What do some of the Israelites do? They travel through the night, they get the body, and they steal it. They take it back, and they make sure that it's buried. So we see the Israelites taking seriously this concept of hanging someone up. They want to make sure that people are respected after they have been executed. Now, as I said before, this is a bit of a grisly, a morbid subject for a Sunday morning. Is there any application to us today? Is there any relevance to us? Is this just an obscure part of obscure people, the Israelites, many millennia ago, and one of their interesting laws? Is there any application to us today? Well, there is, as people who follow the Lord Jesus Christ, because... We have to remember what happened to Jesus and the way he was executed. And that brings me to my second main point this morning. Jesus was hung on a tree and was under God's curse. Jesus was hung on a tree and was under God's curse. Jesus was, of course, the son of God. He came into this world and he lived amongst humanity. But then a number of people were not happy with his ministry here on earth. And as a result, he was hung on a tree. Not literally a tree that was out there in the paddock, but he was hung on the wood from a tree, on a cross. As a public example of someone who was a blasphemer, someone who was a rebel against society. And it was no accident that he was hung on a tree. The Jews wanted Jesus to die on a tree. How do we know that they wanted this? Well, you look at what they do when they come to Pilate. Turn with me now to page 1073 of the Black Church Bibles, to John chapter 19. And we see how Jesus was brought to die on a tree. John chapter 19, verse 14. John 19, verse 14, page 1073. Jesus has been brought to trial with the Jewish leaders. Then he's brought to trial with Pilate, the governor of the Romans. And in verse 14 of John chapter 19, we read, It was the day of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. Is it an accident that the Jews there asked that Jesus be crucified? I don't think it is. I think they knew what the Old Testament taught about crucifixion. They knew that he would be put under God's curse if he was hung on a tree. They didn't ask for his head to be chopped off. They wanted him hung on a tree as a public example of what happens if you come up against us. And when they cry out, crucify, crucify, they may as well be saying, curse him, curse him. We want him under God's curse. And so then we see that's what happens. Pilate hands him over to be crucified. The soldiers take charge of Jesus, and carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of Skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. So Jesus was then crucified as a person who had rebelled against the leaders of that day. He was held up as an example of someone who tries to exalt themselves over the Jews. We've got to remember, what was the charge that was written above Jesus' head as he was crucified? It was that he is the king of the Jews. We read in verse 19 of John chapter 19, Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic Latin, And Greek, The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Why did they hang him on a tree? Public example. And they put the charge above him. And they put it in three languages so that everybody would be able to read it. They put it in the official language of the Roman Empire, Latin. They put it in the common language of the Roman Empire, Greek. And they put it in the common language of the Israelites, Aramaic. So no one would miss the point. This is what happens to someone who claims to be our king. And this is what the Romans do to someone who claims to be king of the Jews without their authority saying that he is king. Here we see Jesus held up as a public example of a sinner. Someone who is Under God's curse. But why would Jesus allow that to happen? If he is the son of God, if he is God himself and has all power, why would he allow himself to be crucified and come under the curse of God? Because that's what's happening there. We see a cross and we think it's a good thing. Like if you're traveling and you see a cross sticking up in someone's window or on a building, you think it's a good thing. It's a sign of blessing. But the Jews didn't see that. They saw a cross and they saw a sign of a curse, someone who is cursed of God. No wonder the Jews later in the New Testament are said to stumble on the subject of the cross. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 23 says, Paul says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews. Why did the Jews stumble on the subject of the cross? Because it meant Jesus was under God's curse why would you follow someone who is under God's curse who was cursed of God why would Jesus allow this to happen to him it's an awful thing to be crucified just the pain and suffering of it in itself but then to be under God's curse is terrible why would Jesus allow that to happen well he was doing something wonderful that day He was redeeming people like you and me from the curse of the law. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, page 1,153. 1,153. Chapter 3 and verse 13. Chapter 3, verse 13, the Apostle Paul writes... Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Paul here quotes that passage that we've been studying this morning, Deuteronomy chapter 21. It's a significant passage to Paul. It's not an obscure part of God's law to Paul. He recognizes that if you are hung on a cross, you are cursed of God. But he says this wonderful thing there. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Paul knows that if we are sinners, we are under God's curse. The punishment for sin is exclusion from God. One day we will be excluded from God's presence because of our sin. We will be cursed of God eternally. Unless Jesus redeems us from that curse. We deserve to be cursed for our sin against him, against God. For not keeping the law of God. Unless Jesus redeems us from that curse. We see that we're meant to be cursed in verse 10 of Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, what does it say? All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. We have God's laws before us, summarized in the Ten Commandments usually. And you are cursed if you do not continue to do everything written in the law. And as we look at our own lives, we see that we have not done everything in the law. And so as a result, we are under God's curse. And verse 11 then says, Clearly no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. No one keeps the law and so no one is justified by the law. Instead, if we are to be right with God, it must be because Jesus took the curse for us. He redeemed us from that curse that we deserve for our sin. Now how does that happen for you? How can Jesus take The curse for you. What do you need to do to have Jesus die on a tree for you so that you don't have to die on a tree for your own sin? So that you are never excluded from God and his presence and his blessings. Well, it comes by faith. What do we read in verse 11 there? Clearly no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous, those who do right, will live by the law. No, by faith. If you trust that Jesus Christ died for you, then he takes the curse that you deserve. You deserve to be cursed by God because you have not continued to do everything written in the law of God. But if you trust that Jesus died on your behalf as a substitute for you at the cross, then you are redeemed from that curse. You are set free from the curse of God. And you receive the blessings of God instead of the curses of God. That's what it says to us in verse 14. After it talks about in verse 13 of Galatians chapter 3 that Christ has redeemed us from the the curse of the law. What does it say in verse 14? He redeemed us, Jesus redeemed us, in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit great blessings were promised to Abraham but we have sinned how can we have those blessings by faith we can have those blessings by faith that Jesus was cursed on our behalf we can have the blessings of Abraham we can have the Holy Spirit come and live in us because of what Christ Jesus has done for us and we have it as it says there again in verse 14 by faith If you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, I encourage you, trust in Jesus today. Otherwise, if you are living by the laws of this land, the laws of your own heart, the laws of God, you will become under a curse because you can't keep them. How often do you set laws in your own life and then you break them anyway, let alone the laws that God has given us? You're under a curse. Don't be under a curse any longer. Trust that Jesus died on your behalf so that the curse is lifted. And then the cross, instead of being a sign of God's curse to you, becomes a sign of God's blessing. Remember I said before that the Jews stumble at the cross. Why? Because it's a sign of God's curse. They know Deuteronomy 21. But for Christians, it becomes a sign of God's blessing, becomes a symbol of the power of God. That passage that I read from 1 Corinthians one twenty-three and 24, where I said that the Jews stumble, what does it say next? Verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 1 says, "'But we preach Christ crucified, a stumble-block to Jews "'and foolishness to Gentiles, "'but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks,' Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The cross then becomes a sign of God's power to redeem you from that curse that you deserve, a sign of God administering his blessing to you. It's not then surprising that the cross has been taken up by Christians and put on different things because it then illustrates to them that Christ has paid the curse for them For Jews, it's a sign of cursing. For the Christians, it's a sign of blessing because of the one who was cursed for them. So if you're not a Christian, I encourage you, trust in Jesus and have the blessings of God, the power of God known in your life today. And if you are a Christian, do you remind yourself of the fact that the curse has been lifted, that you once were under God's curse, but now you are not by faith. All you had to do was trust And now you are no longer under the curse of God, you are under the blessing of God. How do you respond to this truth that you are under God's blessing rather than under God's curse? That the curse has been lifted. Are you eager to learn more about the cross, to plunge into the depths of the meaning of the cross? Are you eager to tell others this marvellous news that the curse has been lifted because of the cross? Are you eager to serve God all the more fully? as a result of the curse being lifted. After the service today, we're going to have church lunch together. We can talk about a lot of things over church lunch. Why don't you talk about how the curse being lifted has impacted upon your life? Maybe you feel a bit too nervous to share that yourself. Well, then ask somebody else at the table and make them nervous. Ask them how the curse being lifted has made them a different person? Have they seen an impact in their life? Because they know that Jesus was hung on a tree and was therefore under God's curse and he did it for them. And see whether they can come up with any ideas as to how that has impacted their life. If they are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then there will be an impact there always is an impact because it's marvellous news it's good news the curse has been lifted because Christ was cursed for us let's come to God in prayer let's speak to him Father we thank you for your word we thank you for what it tells us about the curse of yourself upon your son it was no accident that he was put on a tree he was cursed so that we could be set free. He redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Lord, we pray that everyone in this room may trust that Jesus Christ was cursed on their behalf. May they no longer live under the curse of your law, under your curse, and one day be excluded from everything good as they're excluded from yourself. We pray that everyone here may trust that Christ died on their behalf. And we pray for us who have trusted in Christ for many years. We pray that the curse being lifted may not become a matter that is insignificant to us any longer. But, Lord, we pray that it may be significant to us every day. May we live as people who have been redeemed from the curse. And may that give us a joy and a delight in the cross, an eagerness to share it with others, and an eagerness to serve the one who has set us free. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.